I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me on today's program is my special guest, market analyst Murray Gunn. Murray is an analyst with Elliott Wave. I'm going to get his forecast for where he thinks markets go from here. And it is the last opportunity for you to get my May special report if you'd like to receive it. The May special report is titled How Evolving Money Affects Financial Markets. You can get a copy of the report as well as some bonus information I'll be glad to include with the report by visiting requestyourreport.com. The website again, requestyourreport.com. This report does a deep dive into the relationship between evolving money and of course money is evolving today by being devalued. And we take a look in the report at what happens when currency is devalued and how do financial markets typically react. I think you'll find the information in in the report to be offered to you from a very unique perspective, and I'd encourage you to order your free copy. Again, today's the last opportunity to get that by visiting requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. You know, back in May, um, I put together the client newsletter that I send out to clients every month called the You May Not Know Report. And in that report, as it was hitting mailboxes, I wrote about an indicator that was talking about or that was indicating a strong probability of a stock market correction. Now, this is what I wrote uh, a little over a month ago at this point. An historically reliable predictor of stock market corrections just signaled that a deeper stock market correction may be coming. Margin debt declined meaningfully. Now, if you're not familiar with margin debt, it's a loan that is issued by a broker-dealer using the equity in an investment account as collateral. So basically, it's a loan using, if you will, stocks in your investment account as collateral for the loan. Now, as a side note, if you have an IRA or a tax-qualified account, you cannot use margin in the account. It's got to be an account that is not an IRA. It's got to be what we would call a non-qualified account. Now, margin debt rules require that an account have at least 50% equity. So if you have a brokerage account with a $1 million balance, it's eligible for a margin loan of $500,000. Now, if the $1 million in securities were to appreciate to $1.5 million, now the margin loan amount could be increased to $750,000. As long as that 50% equity is maintained, as securities in this account appreciate, you can also take on more debt. Now, if the value of the securities in the brokerage account falls to less than 50%, the margin loan has to be paid down because you have to have at least 50% equity in this account at all times. Now, if you think about it, I'm sure you'll find that it's logical that there are two ways a margin loan can be paid down to get back to this 50% required equity. One, you simply add more funds to the account until there's once again 50% equity. You add money to the account. Or two, you sell securities until the account once again returns to 50% equity. Now, it's often this second method that is used. Often, securities are sold until the account gets back 
to 50% equity. So essentially what happens is the value of the securities in the account is reduced, increasing the value of the cash in the account, getting that balance back to 50%. Now, historically speaking, whenever margin debt has started to fall, it has been a fairly reliable leading indicator when forecasting stock market declines. Now, just for comparison's sake, I think this is pretty interesting. At the peak of the tech stock bubble, going back to 2000, when the tech stock bubble started to unwind, total margin debt was about $500 billion. In 2007, at the market peak, at about the time of the financial crisis, it was just under $600 billion. When I wrote the May newsletter that went to my clients, I noted that margin debt had risen to nearly $1 trillion before it began to decline, and it declined by about $120 billion. So as the May newsletter was hitting mailboxes after I had written this and said, I think we have a strong probability of a correction, stock started to fall. Now, as I am recording today's program, the S&P 500 has fallen from, at the beginning of the year, about 4,800 now to about 3,900. So we are right at the point, almost, that we have an official bear market, which is often measured uh, or defined as a 20% decline. Now, when you look at market statistics of late, and you compare these statistics to other historical time frames, it's been a tough stretch for stocks. Bloomberg reported that the S&P 500 has now declined seven straight weeks. Now, again, that's as I am recording this. It's the worst losing streak since 2001, which was when the tech stock bubble was unwinding. The Dow is down eight straight weeks. That's the worst losing streak since May of 1923. It's 99 years since the Dow has experienced this many down weeks. Now, markets rarely go straight up or straight down. So from where we are now, I believe this doesn't have to happen, but I think the probability of a rally is pretty likely. When prices reach extremes, when prices fall or rise too far over long-term moving averages or fall too far under, as the case may be, we often see a reversal in price. So that would indicate that we would see potentially a rally in stocks here, which, again, would not be surprising. However, I believe the primary market trend is down. That will likely mean a series of lower highs and lower lows from this point, even though we're likely, it's possible anyway, I think highly likely that, in my opinion, that we see a rally from here. Now, meanwhile, the economy, and I'll talk about this more in the fourth segment of today's program as well, the economy um, is not very healthy. In fact, uh, many of you have been longtime listeners to the program know that in the first quarter of this year, uh, on this program, I made the statement that I believe the United States was probably in a recession. Now, I still believe that's the case, and there's some news stories now that are 
jumping in and agreeing that that may be the case. I'll talk about those in just a minute. However, when you look at economic growth to this point, that growth has occurred because of artificial stimulus. Federal Reserve currency creation and massive levels of government stimulus have simply masked, in my view, the real state of the economy. But now that government stimulus has dried up, the real state of the economy is coming more, becoming more obvious, and there is a stunning development, in my view. Consumer credit card debt doubled from February to March of this year. I did not misspeak. Consumer credit card debt doubled from February to March, which leaves little doubt as to how consumers are actually dealing with rampant inflation. Now, Zero Hedge reported that February uh, credit card debt levels were $14.2 billion. That rose to $31.4 billion by March. That is a huge increase. And interestingly, credit card debt is rising as interest rates are as well. And credit card debt went up and there was no Christmas holiday. There were no Hallmark holidays, if you will, in there. So it just simply tells you that because the personal savings rate is down, people are dealing with this additional inflationary pressure by using their credit cards. And we all know that is a trend that cannot continue. Now, as far as recession is concerned, CNBC reported this, and I quote, The U.S. economic contraction to start the year was worse than expected as weak business and private investment failed to offset strong consumer spending. I just told you how that consumer spending was financed. First quarter GDP, this is CNBC, declined at a 1.5% annual pace. Economic contraction, declining GDP, is the definition of a recession. So I believe we're there. I believe that if you're managing money the way you always have, you should get a second opinion. And that's why I'm offering my special report for the month of May titled How Evolving Money Affects Financial Markets. I'd be very glad to send you a copy of the free report by visiting requestyourreport.com and letting me know where to mail the report. I'll be very glad to send it to you. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. And I'll be glad to send you my May special report, How Evolving Money Affects Financial Markets. I will return after these words with my special guest, Mr. Murray Gunn. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Chatting with me on today's program once again is returning guest, Mr. Murray Gunn. Uh, Murray is a market analyst at Elliott Wave International. And uh, Murray, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Dennis. Great to be here. So, Murray, for our listeners maybe that are not familiar with Elliott Wave, could you give them uh, uh, just a basic crash course, please? Sure. Well, the um, the Elliott Wave principle is uh, what we call a, a, fractal, a fractal-based model of the economy discovered by a man called uh, Ralph Elliott in the 1930s and what he discovered was that um, 
human herding behavior causes markets uh, like the stock market, which is a leading indicator of the economy, to exhibit certain identifiable and repeatable patterns. Uh, and they found that these patterns repeat at every time scale. And so it, it enables cycles of herding behavior to be anticipated from the short term to the very long term. And what um, what Elliot did was um, he didn't really have a theory about this. He, he, he was an accountant uh, by his profession for most of his career, so he wanted to have a detailed analysis, and he examined the price data of the U.S. stock market. And so this empirical study uh, brought out this pattern recognition. And what actually uh, he did was introduce a forecasting element to what was then the popular uh, market forecasting and market um, analysis at the time of the Dow theory, and that wasn't really uh, appreciated until Elliot uh, discovered uh, the, the wave principle. So, Murray, for our listeners' benefit, explain a bit about your background and how you got to be working with, with Elliot Wave and what it is that you do day-to-day. Day, day excuse me. Well, I, I've been working in the uh, financial markets now for um, a little over three decades, uh, mostly uh, on the fund management side um, with companies around the world uh, from Standard Life uh, in Scotland to the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority uh, over there in the Middle East. Um, in the last decade, I've been involved uh, mainly on the analytical uh, publishing side, um, worked with, uh, uh, as a head of technical analysis for uh, HSBC and the last few years with um, Elliott Wave International. And so my day-to-day role is to uh, analyze the global uh, financial markets, concentrating mainly on the, on the European markets as well as the um, the bond and credit markets and the foreign exchange. So, Murray, uh, we have had a very eventful couple months in uh, in stocks. Um, our listeners uh, are worldwide, but predominantly here in the U.S. So when looking at the S&P 500 and the Dow, um, seems they're uh, in or at least approaching very closely an official bear market. What's your assessment of stocks, both um, you know, in the U.S. here, to the extent that uh, you can talk about it, and then uh, worldwide? And, and what's your forecast? Sure. Well, uh, I think when, when we last spoke in uh, January, I um, reiterated our view then that, that, that the bounce in the global stock market index from the 2020 pandemic lockdown lows was the uh, final rally in a multi-decade bull market and that 2021 in particular could have marked uh, a, an historic juncture in the um, what we call a super cycle topping uh, process. And yeah, I, I, that seems to be playing out uh, now with the stock markets down over the last few months. Obviously, bond yields up. We've had a, um, a very grisly bear market in the bonds. And now corporate credit uh, is coming under pressure as well, which is relatively new over the last few weeks. Um, so there'll, there'll be bounces along the way. Uh, but if our model is correct, then this is just the start of a trend which could last for many months, uh, if not years. Well, for our listeners that would like to go back and uh, check out the interview that Murray did here, 
uh, about five months ago. Uh, you can go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and look at our archived podcasts, and that's uh, indeed exactly what Murray forecasts. So, Murray, how low do you think stocks can go from here? When you say this is a multi-decade top, that sounds ominous. Well, certainly the, the, it's a trend, and, and if you look at um, you know the history of bear markets, you know a lot of people look at the the, the, the history of the the U.S. stock market in particular, which is fair enough. And and, and bear markets, um, there hasn't really been an, uh, an elongate, elongated bear market um, for the last you know hundred years or so. I mean, certainly the the depression of the 1930s, the the, the, the bear market in stocks was over. Uh, within a, a couple of years, um, before it bounced off the 1932 low. Um, so, but if you look at other other markets like uh, Japan, you know, uh, Japan uh, topped out in 1989 and is still not uh, above that uh, 1989 high. So, um, there there are precedents. Uh, if we're arguing into what we think is this is the, the sort of end game of a super cycle top, which started with Japan and and uh, went through Europe, went through China. All these markets have topped out or, or gone sideways over the last you know, couple of decades. Uh, and the US was really sort of the last, the last man standing. Um, you know, probably the, the main thing which is um, sort of spooking investors uh, at the moment is, is the absence of the so-called uh, Fed put this time. You know, the Fed put meaning that the Fed has historically acted uh, as a put option for investors because it eventually comes to the rescue of the markets. Um, and in actual fact, this has just uh, been a recent phenomenon over the last couple of decades or so. It never used to be like that. I mean, Paul, Paul Volcker's Fed uh, didn't give two hoots about the stock market back in the late 1970s. And we think that the conventional causality in this regard is wrong, uh, in our opinion. It's not the Fed that saves the market, so to speak. It's the positive trend in social mood which allows the Fed to act. So now that we think, um, and the evidence suggests that social mood is turning negative, um, we don't think the public will be so you know, acquiescent for the Fed uh, to intervene. And, and a lot of it has to do with the speed of the move uh, as well. There's, there's probably no doubt that if there were to be a, a kind of fast crash-like situation, then the Fed and other central banks would, would try to intervene. Um, but a steady downtrend in the stock market, which is what we're seeing at the moment, is not going to you know, float the Fed's lifeboat, uh, so to speak, this time, given the fact that it wants to tighten monetary policy in order to combat uh, consumer price inflation. Murray, didn't, uh, isn't really the Fed in a very difficult place here? I mean, uh, if they don't intervene, um, as, as you described, um, you're going to see likely a market correction. And, uh, you know, you have forecast as well as uh, Bob Prechter many years ago that we're going to have to see a, a deflationary environment. Uh, and if they try to intervene, they feed this inflation monster. So, I mean, can, can the Fed win here? Well, that, that's right. They are, they are in a, a central banks um, are in a very difficult position. And it's a position they've put themselves into by the incredible, unprecedented um, monetary inflation that they've um, gone about since uh, 2008. Um, and I think you really have to look at the bond market for, for this regard. And, and 
Elliott Wave International have realised for, for decades that it's not the central banks that lead the market, it's the markets that lead the central banks. And so the Fed and, and other central banks tightening has come now, is, is coming through this year because the markets have been dictating to the central banks that you, you have to actually hike rates, you have to, you have to tighten monetary policy because the bond yields have been going up since um, over the last couple of years, something which, which we've been telling our subscribers uh, about over the last um, 18 months, certainly, that, uh, to be aware of this, this bond bear market that was coming. Um, and I think, again, the last time I was on, I think it was, uh, I mentioned that uh, it was uh, the Clinton advisor, Jim Carver, who said that uh, when he died, he wanted to be reincarnated as the bond market because <laughs> the, the bond market intimidates everybody. Well, it's certainly intimidated uh, a lot of people um, this year. So, yes, absolutely, the Fed and other central banks, uh, they're kind of, you know, damned if they do and damned if they don't. So this this talk of a soft landing, uh, do you see that as being a possibility? Or, you know, last time you were on, and for our listeners that might like to reference it, um, uh, and if you're just joining me, I'm chatting today with Murray Gunn of Elliott Wave International. Uh, the website is elliottwave.com. There's also a free book available there. And if you go to our site, uh, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, we'll post the podcast version of this program there. We'll have a link so you can get that free book explaining Elliott Wave as well. So... Um, What's your take, Murray? Are, are we are, is a is a soft landing a possibility, or are we headed for a, kind of a, a a redo of the 1930s in your view? Well, it, it, it's after such an unprecedented bubble, uh, which has been going on not just for the last couple of years, but really really since um, you know Nixon closed the the gold window you know, back in uh, the 1970s, and, and since fiat currencies. Started. There's just been this incredible uh, bubble in, in debt, and, and this is the sort of you know 800 pound gorilla in the room that, that, that people don't really want to focus on, um, and the fact that the, the, the debt, not just um, you know public debt, which we all we all kind of know about, is, is um, you know through the through the stratosphere, but um, private debt. Um, and especially uh, if you look at non-financial uh, U.S. corporate debt, that's at um, you know uh, the historical extremes. And, and and what that means is that as interest rates rise, um, you know the debt burden becomes intolerable, uh, and so therefore you have this situation of, of debt deflation where uh, companies and individuals are are, are forced to uh, you know reduce their debt, pay down their debt, or default uh, on their debt. So. It's very difficult to see if, if our model is correct, and we do have this um, downtrend in, in uh, the stock market driven by negative social mood, uh, then it's very difficult to see a, a soft landing. Well, my guest today is Mr. Murray Gunn. The website is elliotwave.com. Uh, Murray is graciously offering the listeners a free book as well. You can go to elliotwave.com or visit retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, and uh, we'll post a link there as well. I'll continue my conversation with Murray Gunn when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to RLA Radio. My guest today is Mr. Murray Gunn. He is an analyst with Elliott Wave International. The website is elliottwave.com. You can go there and request a free book about Elliott Wave. Uh, you can also visit retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. We'll have that link posted uh, on our podcast. So, Murray, you said something that I think maybe 
piqued the interest of some of our listeners in the last segment. You mentioned that uh, there's a link between social mood and stock performance. At least that's what I thought I heard you say. Could you explain? Uh, sure. Well, um, Robert Prechter's uh, socioeconomic theory is a field of uh, study conducted really under the hypothesis that waves of social mood uh, motivate the character uh, of social actions, not uh, not the other way around as most people um, believe. So the waves of it's the waves of social mood which drive uh, the stock market. Human beings drive the stock market at, at all times. So the mood of, of the people, the mood of the herd, drives the stock market. And so the stock market is, is actually our gauge uh, of social mood, or we, we call it a sociometer. Um, and so our historical research has found that um, positive social actions, such as uh, things like peace, inclusion, uh, and consensus, uh, they tend to proliferate with a positive social mood um, and a rising stock market. Uh, on the other hand, negative social actions such as war, exclusion uh, and disharmony really tend to proliferate with a uh, negative social mood and a declining stock market. And we had a, an amazing example uh, of this uh, this year. Uh, with Russians, Russia's actions in, in Ukraine. The Russian stock market, if you look at the, the uh, RTS uh, dollar index, the Russian stock market topped out in, in 2007, and so it's been in a, in a declining trend since then. Uh, and, you know, way before then, uh, Elliott Wave um, uh, had uh, published about Russia and identifying the fact that it, it could, if it went into a bear market, uh, have some serious repercussions. Um, and over the years since then, we've, we've mentioned it a few times. And um, coming into this year, we, we noticed that the pattern was certainly coming into uh, what we call, um, getting a little bit technical here, but we call it a, a, a triangle pattern. Uh, and what we said to our, our subscribers in January of this year was that the pattern of the stock market, because it's driven by social mood and because uh, negative social mood results in negative social actions. We said in January that it was probably uh, highly, highly probable that uh, that Russia would go into uh, Ukraine. And so, the, the the not to get too doom and gloom about it at the moment, but the, 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 there's a very similar pattern happening at the moment in China. If you look at the Chinese uh, stock market, it topped out in 2007 uh, as well. So there's been a real, there's been a you know. Um, 15-year negative social mood trend in China, which has driven the stock market uh, sideways to lower. And um, given the historical research that we've done, after periods like this, so we're coming into this sort of peak negative social mood period in China, and so we should be we should be on the lookout for for negative social actions. And of course, we could say that we're already seeing that uh, with the likes of um, you know what's happening uh, with the Uyghurs and uh, the lockdowns, the strict lockdowns in China. So, Murray, I want to uh, go back and, and examine something that uh, you mentioned, that uh, we've got this big bubble in debt, and I think a lot of our listeners maybe uh, don't completely understand or, or would like to maybe understand uh, to a greater extent the link between debt and bubble creation. 
Well, sure. I mean, it's, it's at the end of the day, uh, Dennis, it's all driven by social mood. And so um, as social mood is, is trending positively, then, you know, people feel happier, they feel more optimistic. Uh, because they feel more optimistic, they want to take on more debt. Um, or they, they feel happier taking on more debt because they, they don't see anything bad happening uh, in the future. Um, and so the debt uh, comes on, whether that's in the form of debt to buy a bigger house or debt to uh, invest in uh, the stock market um, or, or even, you know, as we've seen recently, debt to invest in, in the crypto bubble, uh, which is quite uh, alarming. Um, but this is what it, this is what it, it's all about: is, is that uh, the, the positive social mood means that people want to take on debt, leverage, and that fuels um, uh, the, 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 the stock market bubble. So, Murray, when you were on, in fact, uh, in uh, January, it was January 23, so a little over four months ago, uh, you forecast that the uh, bond market uh, was ready to start uh, declining. So let, let's talk a bit about that, if we could. Um, when you look at uh, government debt, uh, you know, worldwide, and again, um, most of our listeners are here in the U.S., we have debt levels and unfunded liabilities that c- can never be paid. So... Given that we've just had a literally 40-year bull market in bonds, uh, what are you forecasting as far as this this bond bear market is concerned? Well, it, it might come in a, in a couple of phases, and, and uh, we're certainly seeing the, the first phase uh, at the moment. Um, you know, obviously, with bond yields um, overall sectors, not just government bonds, but uh, in the corporate sector, being so artificially low for the last you know, decade or so helped a lot, a huge amount, by the, the quantitative easing and the, the money printing that was going on by the central banks. So those bond yields being so low, it, uh, it encouraged a very high duration uh, in the bond markets, a very high uh, what we call duration um, sentiment, duration allocation in, in, in the in the bond market, and that, that meant when the bond market did finally snap and yields started to go higher, uh, it meant that the price decline was uh, even even greater. And so, up until the last few weeks, we've seen the main part of the bond market, the bond bear market this year, has been concentrated around the fact that, that rates have gone up and yields have gone up, which has caused obviously the, the price uh, to go down. What's interesting now is that we're going to be seeing the second phase of the bond uh, bear market in that, um, you know, up until recently, um, what we call corporate uh, credit spreads or corporate bond spreads, so the yield spread between, say, junk bonds or, or, or uh, higher quality bonds relative to U.S. treasuries, they've remained relatively stable. Um, but over the last few weeks, they've started to accelerate higher. And, and so what that means is that people now see the differences from maybe, you know, February, March time, where people didn't really see the effect that uh, the rise in yields was having on, on growth. But now people are thinking, well, um, the economy probably is going to go into recession, and therefore the risk of corporate default um, and what we call yield spread widening is is going uh, going up, and you know if you look at um, what happened in 
in, in previous uh, cycles, um, and certainly in, in, the, in the Great Depression, uh, corporate credit or corporate bond yield spreads were much, much higher than they are uh, currently. So there's a, there's a lot of scope for um, a bear market in the corporate bond market now, as opposed to the, um, the, the government bond market. But we still think yields across all sectors will continue to go higher. So, Murray, uh, big picture economic question, if I could, please. Uh, you know, there, there, are, there are those that are in the camp that uh, the Fed will reverse course and we're going to see a hyperinflationary outcome, uh, a hyperinflationary depression, if you will. There are those in the other camp that say, no, uh, we're going to see a, a huge period of, of deflation. Uh, do you have an opinion on that? Well, we're certainly, we've seen we've seen the inflation already. I mean, the, the Fed ha, has has been hyperinflating since 2008, and uh, that's the reason why, or one of the big reasons why, the asset markets became uh, inflated, uh, and and now obviously that's feeding through into uh, consumer prices. Um, but in a, in a very broad macro sense, it, it, it's it's interesting what's happening. Um, at the moment, uh, which points towards the deflation side. If you look at, uh, actually, very relevant for this week, the, uh, the World Economic Forum is, is back on in, in Davos uh, uh, this week, and, and deglobalization is a, is a term which is appearing to be on everyone's lips um, at that event uh, uh, this year. Of course, the, the supply chain uh, issues of the, the global economy have been, have been given great prominence, not least with, the, obviously, the war in Ukraine, um, heightening concerns about uh, food shortages, especially in, in poorer nations. But um, a potential reversal of the decades-long trend in globalization seems all of a sudden to be um, the big issue. Now, if, if you look at uh, the data, um, actually deglobalization started back in 2008. If you look at the, the value of globally global exported goods as a percentage of the world economy, um, that actually topped out in, in 2008, the year of the Great Financial Crisis, uh, and has been declining, you know, since then for over a decade. After a multi-decade advance that I had from 1945, but um, th this declining globalisation should really worry us all. Uh, again, not to be too doom and gloom about it, but um, the previous decline in globalisation on this measurement of. Uh, uh, Global exported goods as a percentage of GDP, world GDP, that happened from about 1912 until 1945, and of course that deglobalization period corresponded with two world wars and a, and a major depression uh, across uh, advanced economies. And so you add to that that, that what I just mentioned uh, earlier on uh, about Chinese social mood being uh, trending negatively for 15 years now. Um, it points to a potentially very precarious future in the years ahead. Well, unfortunately, the clock says we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. Murray Gunn of Elliott Wave. Uh, the website is ElliottWave.com. If you go to ElliottWave.com and click on the resources link, you can get a free Elliott Wave principle book. Uh, explains the key to market behavior. And again, that is absolutely free. We'll also have a link on our website at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Uh, Murray, always a pleasure to have you on. Always appreciate your perspective very much and would love to have you back down the road. Thank you for joining us today.
Thank you, Dennis. We'll return after these words. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Thanks again to my special guest today, Mr. Murray Gunn, for joining us on today's program. Hey, if you've not yet requested your copy of my May special report, today is the last day that you'll be able to order that. The report is titled, How Evolving Money Affects Financial Markets. It's a deep dive into the relationship between a devalued currency and the performance of various asset classes in the market. I'd love to send you a complimentary copy. Visit requestyourreport.com to order your copy of the report. When you go there and let me know where to mail it, I'll also be glad to send you some bonus information that I think you'll find to be very useful. Well, if you listen to the first segment of today's program, you know that I have been forecasting a decline in stocks for quite a long time. Now, I believe that the most recent decline uh, will like, likely not continue straight down. I believe we'll see a counter trend rally, but I believe now, uh, in my view, by my metric, I believe that the primary trend in the stock market is down. In this segment, I want to give you my view on real estate. I believe that real estate prices, even though they're still holding, holding their own and real estate market, the real estate market rather seems strong, I believe that all that is now about to change. Bottom line is, if you're thinking about buying real estate now, I would be cautious. If you're thinking about selling real estate now, I would hurry. Wolf Street said this, quote, Sales in the U.S. of previously owned homes, houses, condos, and townhouses, fell 2.4% in April from March. That's based on seasonally adjusted annual sales, and they're down 5.9% from a year ago. House sales are down 4.8%. Condo sales down 13.9%, according to the National Association of Realtors. It was the ninth month in a row of year-over-year declines, even as supply of homes listed for sale continued to rise. Those are both negative developments for real estate, in my view. Now, the National Association of Realtors report said this, and I quote, Higher home prices and sharply higher mortgage rates have reduced buyer activity. It looks like more declines are imminent in the upcoming months. The seasonally adjusted annual rate of sales of 5.61 million was the lowest since June of 2020. Sales of single-family houses dropped 2.5% in April from March and by 4.8% year-over-year, as I just mentioned. Now, CNBC, quoting them twice on today's program, had this to say about mortgages. Mortgage rates actually fell slightly last week, but the damage has already been done to housing affordability. Both refinance and purchase loan demand dropped, pulling total mortgage application volume down 11% for the week. That's according to the Mortgage Bankers Association's Seasonally Adjusted Index. Mortgage applications to purchase a home declined 12% week to week and were 15% lower compared with the same week one year ago. This was the first weekly drop in home buyer demand since the third week in April. Mortgage rates have risen over two full percentage points since the beginning of the year, 
and home prices are up more than 20% from a year ago. You don't need to be an economist to know that those two developments are going to eventually be negative for the housing market. And interestingly, when you compare the state of the housing market today to the state of the housing market prior to the real estate decline at the time of the financial crisis, and you look at it from the perspective of interest rates, what you find is very interesting. Interest rates now at just north of 5% are about where they were at the low point of the interest rate cycle at the time of the financial crisis. So the bubble in real estate from let's just say about 14 years ago, 15 years ago, occurred by having interest rates drop to five and a quarter percent. This bubble formed with interest rates on a 30-year mortgage dropping as low as 2.75%. That should give you some perspective as well. Now, the average interest rate today on a 30-year fixed mortgage, now last week it dropped to 5.49%. It was 5.53% the year before. Now, there's another issue here when it comes to the housing market. Inflation is not helping consumers feel particularly comfortable with the market. Now, economist Joel Kahn had this to say, general uncertainty about the near-term economic outlook, as well as recent stock market volatility, may be causing some households to delay their home search. Certainly, when you see a market decline of nearly 20%, that's a lot of wealth that has evaporated. That certainly affects the real estate market as well. Now, applications to refinance a home loan are down huge. Refinance demand, get this, down 76% from one year ago. Nobody wants to refinance at 5.5%, but at 2.75 or 3, it started to make some sense. So I believe that real estate will soon follow stocks. As I mentioned in the first segment, I believe that the primary trend in stocks is down, although I believe that we may see a rally near term. My June special report will be a mid-year update. We'll take a look at uh, analyzing all the markets. We'll look at stocks. We'll look at U.S. Treasuries. We'll look at gold. We'll look at silver. We'll look at wheat. We'll look at corn. Give you our forecast for all those markets. Uh, be sure to tune in next week um, for that report offer. If you have not yet requested the May special report, today is your last opportunity to do so. The May special report is titled How Evolving Money Affects Financial Markets. It's a deep dive into the relationship between devaluing currency and the performance of investment markets. Again, the report for the month of May, last opportunity to get it today, How Evolving Money Affects Financial Markets. To get your copy of the report, visit requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com, and I'll be very glad to send you the report as well as a bunch of bonus information. It is all free. It is all without further obligation. We are all about education here at RLA Radio. If you're not yet visiting retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, a lot of free resources there as well. Uh, the podcast version of the radio show is there as well as my weekly headline roundup alternative newscast that happens live every Monday at noon, but all the, all the webcasts are recorded and they're posted at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. 
That's all the time I have for this week, but I'll be back again next week. Hope you will be too.